This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to a special edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Vambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making this program possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to both segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. On this 11th anniversary, we will explore 9-11 from four unique perspectives in an attempt to clarify the events, repercussions, misapprehensions, and deeper implications of one of the most important days in modern history. How much truth can you handle? For extraordinary evidence and an honorable inquiry, Dr. Judy Wood, Neil Kramer, and Professor Eric Larson are coming up next. This is Mel Bambergas, and you're listening to Veritas. And today we have a very special program for you. This is the 11th anniversary of 9-11. And what a privilege and an honor it is for me to have three independent critical thinkers with me. We have Dr. Judy Wood, we have Neil Kramer, and we also have Professor Eric Larson. Some of you might not know who they are, and I just want to read a brief bio. Dr. Judy Wood is a former professor of mechanical engineering with research interests in experimental stress analysis, structural mechanics, optical methods, deformation analysis, and the materials characterization of biomaterials and composite materials. 
Dr. Wood received her bachelor's degree in civil engineering in 1981, structural engineering, and a master's degree in engineering mechanics, applied physics, in 1983, and a doctorate degree in materials engineering science, 1992, from the Department of Engineering Science and Mechanics at Virginia Polytechnic Institute, Virginia Tech, and State University in Blacksburg, Virginia. Dr. Wood conducted the only publicly available forensic determination of what has happened, or what happened on 9-11, rather. She's the author of the book titled, Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Free Energy Technology on 9-11. Her websites are drjudywood.com and wheredidthetowersgo.com. In addition, we also have another Veritas veteran, Neil Kramer. Neil is an English writer, speaker, and philosopher in the fields of consciousness, metaphysics, shamanism, and ancient mystical disciplines. Neil has spent over 20 years on a path of inner transformation and shares his discoveries and knowledge in writings, interviews, and lectures, as well as giving one-to-one teachings. Neil is the author of the book titled The Unfoldment, the organic path to clarity, power, and transformation. His website, neilkramer.com. And last but not least, we have Professor Eric Larson. Professor Larson is a native of Minnesota and has lived in New York City since 1971. He taught writing and literature for 35 years at John Jay College of Criminal Justice at the City University of New York. He is now retired and devoting himself full-time to writing and is the publisher and founder of the Oliver Arts and Open Press. He is the author of many books, including A Nation Gone Blind, America is in an Age of Simplification and Deceit, and The Skull of Yorick, The Emptiness of American Thinking at a Time of Grave Peril, Studies in the Cover-Up of 9-11. On his website, oliveronpress.com. You can find a more expanded version of the biographies by visiting our website at veritasradio.com. And tonight we will call this program, How Much Truth Can You Handle? Extraordinary Evidence and Honorable Inquiry. On this 11th anniversary, we will explore 9-11 from four unique perspectives in an attempt to clarify the events, repercussions, misapprehensions, and deeper implications of one of the most important days in modern history. And to start, I want to read a quote from Mark Twain. It is easier to fool people and convince them that they have been fooled. And I know many listeners have heard, but I want to get your take, Judy, Neil, and Eric, of what happened on 9-11, that first moment when you decided that something was not as the media was telling you. Let's start with Judy. Well, uh, I have... Um, um... By the way, hello to all of you. Oh, yes, hello. <laughs> hello. On uh, uh, 9-11 in front of the um, TV in the faculty lounge, watching these reruns over and over again of this building frothing up into powder. You know, it looked like somebody pulled a, a yarn off of a sweater and just un- started unraveling. That is not what a collapse looks like. So when my eyes and ears don't agree, I just shut off my ears. So I, I didn't, uh, you know, take in stuff after that. But I looked at it, and I had... You know, this look on my face, I didn't say anything, but his look on my face, you know, pointing at the screen, kind of like, you guys aren't buying this, are you? And I got this look back, like, what kind of a wacko did we just hire? Oh, you know, you, 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 okay, just leave it alone. But am I insane or is the rest of the world insane? You, you wonder about that. So I went up to my office and started doing some calculations. And I thought, okay, maybe it's a typo I've memorized wrong in the, in this book. Well, let's check another book. But, it just, you know, it was it was a really bizarre day in terms of I felt on an island where no one could hear me. It was very alone because I could see that something wasn't right, but nobody else could. And they were so traumatized, they had their pitchfork in hand, ready to go get the, the witch, you know, for, for a, a witch hunt. And they were already reacting to something before they knew what it was. And that was uh, quite uncomfortable. And from all of this, I've come to see what the problem is in sorting this through, that people tend to start with the answer and work backwards. But it's so important, especially in this case, to start with what happened, to first define the problem before you can solve it. 
Like if I say the answer is 27, am I right or wrong? We got to know what the problem is to know if I'm right or wrong. So you have to start with defining the problem you're solving. Otherwise, uh, you're solving an imagined problem. If you speculate on what the problem might be and then go solve that problem, that's an imagined problem you're solving. What you need to do is pin down what you do know. And when it comes to physical evidence, that's, that's sort of my area of looking at what the data is telling us. And Neil Kramer, another veteran, very test veteran. Welcome back. How are you, Neil? I'm very well indeed. How are you? Good, thanks. I don't think I've ever asked you. What, uh, what was that moment for you? When did you question the official story? Well, there are many similarities with what Judy just said, actually, uh, in that I, too, was in a slightly unusual situation and that I was in um, northern France on the day of Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001. And I watched the whole thing on French television in French. <laughs> and um, there were no subtitles. And that kind of added to the eeriness of the images I was seeing. But also, as Judy was saying, it also made me look more rather than just listen to the narrative that was being offered up. I was just looking at it. Um, and even so, I, I sort of remember, I recall being, you know, surprised at how quickly uh, the media were proposing what was happening and who did it, and that there were these Arab terrorists and so on and so forth, and they very quickly showed images just later on that day of Muslim people jumping up and down and burning flags and, and, and all that stuff. And I just thought, there's something very, very wrong with this. And I think this is particularly important. This isn't a terrorist event in the normally understood way that we would say something like that. This isn't a bunch of people who've pulled something off. It's something different. And of course, we could go into how one comes to that. But that was, that was the starting point. So I too was on a continent, a foreign continent, watching it with no English, no subtitles, um, and just trying to sort of piece together what was happening. But I, I, looking back now, I could say that it was kind of formative in not putting in that mainstream reality model into my brain on that day. I didn't have to take it out because it never went in in the first place. So that, that's my recollection. And welcome, Professor Eric Larson. May I call you Eric? Oh, please do. Yes, that's much quicker. <laughs> sure. You. How about your, your, when did you realize that the story was not what you were being told? It was, I'm a different case uh, from uh, either of the other, uh, either uh, Judy Wood or Neil Kramer. I um, I'm a little bit more, I'm comforted only in the case of the story that Dr. Wood just told. I'm comforted only by realizing that her colleagues were highly trained um, academic uh, thinkers um, because, I mean, I'm supposed to be a well-trained academic thinker and on the occasion of 9-11 itself, I I went I went blank and forgot all of my 8th grade uh, science not to mention my 10th and 11th grade uh, science. It, I was shocked and uh, I was absolutely awestruck at the image on television uh, of the buildings coming as I thought of it then, coming down, whereas many still do. But not until June of 2003, um, a friend, a close friend, uh, had been telling me how distraught he was by political events that had been going on, such as the Patriot Act. And um, So he had begun to hint to me that very serious things were awry. But not until I was, we were, actually my family and I were on a short vacation, and I had taken along a number of books to read. One of them was a, one of those Gore Vidal, uh, a moment of, of memory and respect for his his uh, death. Uh, one of the pamphlets that he had been uh, bringing out pretty regularly at that time. I think this may have been Endless War for Endless Peace, but I'm not entirely positive. And in it was the allusion to an allusion, his allusion, or his allusion to someone else's writing on the subject of the uh, of the uh, the no flies phenomenon. Uh, among the fighter interceptors, and at that point, I I, I just absolutely I couldn't wait to get back home and um, talk to my friend and begin to read. Uh, from that time on, I read uh, pretty much constantly. Um, uh, have gone through all of the various phases of what's thought or has been thought to have happened. 
but I was a slow learner. Uh, I was in, I think, such a state, as I said, of awe that I didn't think. And uh, that gives me a bit of um, sympathy for those who still refuse to. I understand how powerful the the fear image uh, is and, of course, was intended to be. And I'm the, the, the panel moderator, so my opinion shouldn't count, but I'm just going to tell you that in contrast to all of you, I probably was the one who believed the story that day and probably even for a couple of years. I remember this was a Tuesday. I left to, to with, with my wife to, to uh, France, actually, to Europe. That Sunday, one of the first flights that left the United States. And I remember the compassion that people were were giving Americans visiting Europe at the time. And, and, and I just felt that the, the world is united in this event. And years later, I realized that the propaganda machine did a wonderful job to many people, for or for many people. There are people like you the, who caught on right from the beginning that things didn't make sense. The only thing that I questioned was the the speed in which such a gargantuan uh, act, executive order, or the Patriot Act, was passed so quickly. And and then now years later, and I don't want to get conspiratorial, I go back to Nazi, Nazi Germany where they had the Reichstag fire. We had 9-11. They had the Enabling Act. We have the Patriot Act. They had Fatherland Security. We have Homeland Security. Do you think that the Nazi script for some reason continues the Nazis lost the war, but won the peace, and they came all the way here. And this continues now. Who wants to take the first one? I'll, I'll go. Um, okay. I I don't think it it has to be the Nazi script. I think it's a, it's something that is is proven to work. If uh, you're on a you know city street and you hear a police officer yell, "Get down on the ground!" Man, everybody gets down on the ground. They just do what they're told. When, when someone senses danger, they do what they're told. And if you can uh, get, get people scared, I mean, they don't have time to go look up what, what's happening and to evaluate themselves. They have to, to rely on somebody telling them something because you know, life may, may you know, be determined in a split second. So they're very suggestible. And also, first impressions do stick. So once that first suggestion's in there, you know, and people need somebody to uh, take care of them. You know, that, that's that's what how they fall into that, and then pretty soon it's off and running. And once you get the train going, it's hard to turn it around. And that quote that I just read at the beginning, Neil, it is easier to fool people than convince them that they have been fooled. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that a lot of people immediately during and after the events of 9-11 were realizing that the government is, is not really our friend. It doesn't really represent us at all. And in fact, um, it may even kill its own people for political and military purposes. And while the historian may look back and uh, acknowledge that, we, we thought that that stuff was over, and it isn't. And so the, the Nazi illusion is really one of empire, and the empire never ended, as Philip K. Dick said so. There is an argument to show an empire from Egypt to Rome to Britain to Mongolia to America and whatnot. But in terms of 9-11, seeing that there is a dishonor in the heart of uh, the civilized world, as it were, is a big problem. And indeed, the, the whole myth of American and European democracy and constitutional freedom amongst you know uh, officials, uh, officially elected uh, politicians and citizens was a lie it's kind of a grand deception so this meant that an awful lot of people ended up characterizing 9-11 as the kind of apex of that deception so to them it symbolized the whole problem if 9-11 becomes the sole focus of like self-liberation as it were then one's entire sort of self-discovery gets poured into that event and you start to go wrong so I would say that subconsciously many people think if they solve 9-11, they will solve the problem of the grand, grand deception. And by kind of blowing open the truth of what happened on that day, there'll be a sort of snowball effect of exposure and revelation and a return to democracy. And that's understandable. Thinking that way is understandable. And yet, 
it is a fatal error. 9-11 is one small part of a very large strategy and cannot be really considered in total isolation if you want to know what it's, what's going on there. And if it is segregated out in that way, one inevitably goes to distort the analysis and it becomes flawed and stuff. So you have to be very thorough in how you look at that. And it causes people uh, to you know, reevaluate the whole life if they think, well, it's a big thing. It's the whole life picture. It's too mammoth to think about. The whole world is a lie, really. Everything you thought you knew is wrong, really. And all those f- sort of fine and noble deeds of our American and European forefathers are not quite what they seemed. You know, can that be true? And this is why people turn away from a broader and more truthful inquiry into 9-11 and just seek out the bad guy, seek out, you know, the the dark t-shirts and the light t-shirts, you know, Darth Vader, they're seeking that out. And I get that and I appreciate that. And, you know, good men and women lost their lives on that day and families are still grieving and people are angry. The last thing they want to hear is talk of exotic beam technology and secret cabals and, and whatnot. But that is not our concern, we here who are doing this. What we do, we do in honour and solely for the purpose of knowing what is real and unreal. And personally speaking, I don't have anyone to answer to. I'm not trying to prove anything. No one is paying me. I have no affiliation, none. I am looking at this cleanly and as responsibly as I possibly can. And in doing so, as we'll get to later, I have come to the conclusion that many of the events of that day are just, if you forgive the expression, far weirder than just an inside job. And Eric, yeah, we know that this, in many, in many, in many people's mind, this was a psychological operation. In the last eleven years, the remnant of that psychological operation, which I think transcend not only beyond the United States, but many other countries. Tell me what you feel was the psychological remnant that was left after 9-11. Because to me, life is different before 9-11 and after 9-11. Is it to you as well? Yes, it, it is. Uh, perhaps not for the same uh, reasons. I'm not sure. I know that uh, but immediately after, I mean, around the holiday season of uh, of, of uh, 2001, I wrote in a you know a, a sort of family uh, letter that went out to relatives and, and friends. I alluded to that very idea. I said that Anne, my wife, uh, had been working downtown on the day of the event, and she actually saw it with her own eyes. The second, uh, the second uh, collapse, the, se- the second disappearance of uh, the building, or the second presumed uh, impact. Mm-hmm. As, as well, but in any case, so I referred to that as the before and after. Everyone, everyone knew that from that point on was after. But this was before I'd even really thought about it. I didn't have the eye, as I said. I forgot my eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade science. Uh, I forgot. I forgot thought ideas about resistance of materials and free fall speed and vacuums and all of that went away from my mind. I was very naive um, for a year or so. A year and a half, two years. But then I became aware of it, and the more I read, I mean, I began with uh, crossing the Rubicon and continued on until the, uh, uh, where did the towers go? Um, uh, I haven't read much of that sort of thing lately, but uh, I've been enormously involved in the aftermath. Um, and what I did in 06, I set up a website to, uh, to accompany the publication of uh, A Nation Gone Blind. And on the website, I found myself not not promoting the book, but simply writing um, in ridiculous amounts in response to what I saw around me and read, primarily read, among um, writers, critics, journalists, even scholars, um, who were refusing and failing to see through the lie. And what appalled me, as continues to appall me, uh, then uh, the, the real thrust of the pieces tended to be how can that be? How can these people be perpetuating this falsehood? And by that time, I'd read plenty enough to know that this, <laughs> what, 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 what Judy and Neil knew the very moment they saw it. Um, but what I became tremendously concerned about in the Skull of York is the, the infantilization of the public, the, the, the nation's um, 
corruption. It's it's a foolishness. It the way in which it's culturally and and, and certainly in in the arts uh, being made to look ridiculous and foolish. Uh, I analyzed many pieces in the New York Times in the skull of Yorick and. To, to hear, to see again and again and again these little reminders that 9-11 was the day when terrorists um, flew airplanes into the uh, World Trade Center towers. Uh, Eleven years of living a lie and living it so publicly and so many people of high authority, um, you know, New York Times uh, writers, uh, diplomats, uh, academics, uh, high-level artists, there's not a writer in the nation that I know of who has a reputation as a writer and is also known to be a skeptic on the, 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 the basic you know, party line on 9-11. That's absurd. This means that what's happened is that people have become cauterized in some sense. They're not aware of a very high proportion of the reality that they're living in. The result, to my way of thinking... Is, is is tremendously destructive culturally. Um, I can only begin to that's those that's to flesh out the, the, the idea to to begin to look at examples of it. I suppose it's going to take way too long. But yeah, I think I think everything has changed, but not because of the political act, but because of the change in people's in the nation's um, self delusion and its willingness to live within a delusion, taking the delusion as truth. In this sense. Well, what, what Neil said, I think, is fascinating about the uh, the incident itself being only part of a far, far larger thing. I can't help but see the incident itself as um, if as as a, some kind of a, a a critical lever of recognition and understanding, if nothing else. I remember growing up when maybe this happened to different generations, but crit- critical thinking, independent thought, was important. That's how real ideas surfaced. But it seems that in recent times, probably the last decade, we see the groupthink mentality and the media. You have to run with the herd. If you're not running with the herd, if you are there out there on your own with your own ideas, you are all of a sudden delusional. You need a psychological evaluation or worse, you are a, a domestic terrorist. What's your take on the way groupthink is shaping the way we live in today? Well, it's, um, you know, I've been thinking about this problem, why, why it's such an obstacle for people to, to see, you know, to understand what happened. And I think it comes down to three basic categories, and it could be one of those things or all of them. But, you know, any one of them could stop people from, from figuring it out or seeing it or whatnot. And the first thing is what I mentioned before about the problem-solving skills, getting things in the right order. First, looking at what happened instead of starting out with who done it. You know, what's it that was done? You have to figure out what it is first. And the second thing is groupthink. You know, people are afraid to go out on a limb. They're afraid to be different. Uh, even if it's the wrong answer, they'd rather pick the answer that everyone else is picking because they feel safe. And it's it's different for me. I can't um, agree with a wrong answer, just just to get along. You know, it's um, it's a it's a strange phenomenon. And the, of course, the third thing is the implications of it. Somebody can't handle the implications; they want to pretend it doesn't exist. And any one of those three things can be a barrier. But the groupthink is a very powerful tool. Like, hey, look at look at me in the faculty conference room on 9/11. You know, and I was pointing at the screen with this goofy look on my face, like somebody's pulling a fast one on us. You know, you, you guys aren't falling for this, are you? But the look I got back was, you know, like like I better keep my mouth shut because I knew I was on the outside of whatever the group think was, and that was very uncomfortable. And it's it's really amazing how strong of a of an influence that is. There's that Ash conformity experiment where they actually, you know, the the test subject thinks that he's in a room full of test subjects, but he's the only test subject. The rest of them are deliberately giving wrong answers, and he goes along and gives a wrong answer. Just you know, the, the answer that he knows is wrong, but it's not a big deal if they give the right answer, the wrong answer. 
as long as they're matching the group. That, that's a peculiar thing. I want to get the an answer of, of the following question, a quick answer for this question that I've, I've wondered in the past few few weeks. With the advent of the internet, cell phone cameras, social networking, etc., do you think, and I'll start with you, Judy, and then we'll go with Neil and, and Eric, do you think the event could have taken place today, or would people simply not buy it today? A lot has happened in the past 10 years. People are more skeptical, you know, less trusting, and they, they want to record something just to prove what it is. I, I don't think it, it would have had the same outcome uh, as it would now. There, was, there were cell phones that could um, take images back then, and actually there were some cell phone images recorded. But it, you know, I don't think it, it would have the same outcome. Maybe it would, but if, if another event was pulled off, it would have to look different, but I think it would still work. That's, I just contradicted myself. <laughs> yeah, and back then, people didn't have the platforms. I don't think YouTube existed. Facebook did not exist. People could only email each other. But to make it, you know, you put a YouTube uh, video today out there, if they don't shut you down, the video has uh, potential to go viral. You know, it could be, you know, CGI or it could be real. Let's, let's go back to that, you know, those three categories, the problem-solving skills. You first have to determine what happened before you can determine how it happened, and you have to do that before you can determine who did it or why they did it. And if you get the things in the wrong order, you'll never get it figured out. You'll never sort it out. And so it's so easy to divert, um, you know, truth seekers, so to speak, into a dead-end street because you get them to focus on the who or the how, and they, they... they never go back to look at what. Like, um, uh, for example, you know, it was it was Bin Laden that did it. So everyone was focused on that rather than first determining what it, what is uh, you know what he's guilty of. Uh, the the most recent um, big event of that sort, you know, the Casey Anthony trial. They didn't determine what happened, how the child died. And so not not having that determined, you don't know what the crime is. So you can't convict somebody of a crime if you don't know what the crime is. But, but, let me just stop you for one second. I think okay. the media the media did a great job demonizing the, the accused, uh, the alleged uh, killer. And if you, if you look at the polls out there, most people thought that she did. But then the, the uh, jury, they came out and said, you know... Everybody was completely crucifying this woman before even looking at the evidence, seeing how she died. And that's how she became innocent. Well, no, she's not innocent. They just couldn't prove guilt. Well, true. Not guilty. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't mean she's innocent. It just means that the case wasn't proved because it was was essentially tried in the court of public opinion rather than tried in facts and evidence. Uh, and, and the same thing with 9-11. It was, um, you know, bin Laden did it because, you know, they hate us for our freedoms. All, all these other things that had nothing to do with what happened. And if you don't first determine what happened, you're speculating on what happened or assuming what happened and running with that. And so you're solving an imagined problem. And once you go down that route, you, you, don't, you don't figure out what happened. It's a, it's a, it's a way of sort of guaranteeing to keep people, and then, and then if people are imagining and are presuming what happened without defining it, then you have all sorts of opinions. You have theories, opinions, speculations, and it can be argued round and round and round and round in circles, and nobody ever gets anywhere. That's a guarantee of a cover-up. And Neil, do you think that this could have happened today with the advent of uh, technology? Uh, yeah, I, it would be different, but yes, I do. It would just have to be orchestrated at whatever level by whoever using whatever technology in a different way i think that it is important to understand that 9-11 does represent a sort of the, the fulcrum of pushing somebody's belief system to the limit and i think it's it's the most classical example i've seen of a sort of one-two punch of cognitive dissonance and cognitive closure now cognitive dissonance is something that we probably all kind of know what it is where you hold 
you know, a typically long-held idea or belief in something, and are then faced suddenly with a, an opposing view that uproots that, and that causes a certain subconscious conflict that feels very unsettling. Not so well known is this very, very powerful human need cognitive closure, which is the desire to have an outcome, um, and particularly uh, with people who are saturated in the media, who inform themselves really just by organizing other opinions. So they don't formulate their own opinions, they don't formulate their own philosophies and views and thoughts. They will take a source, CNN or BBC or the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever, and they will formulate a view. And that need for closure is very high with those people because there's no right brain creative thinking in that. It's not just about left brain reason and rationality. It's also about dynamically creating a solution for yourself. And if you can't do that, then you have a high need for closure. So for those patriotic, you know, thinking men and women who, who were heavily invested in the official story, if they've taken the gargantuan step to the unofficial story, whatever that is, let's say they think it's a controlled demolition with thermite and whatnot for the moment, to be asked to dig up those foundations once again is a step too far. So for the sake of their own sanity and peace of mind, it's simply easier to stick to, as we might say, the unofficial alternative scenario. And to make matters more interesting, there are, of course, people who purposefully muddy the waters with disinformation and whatnot. Um, but that's that. I don't think they're vastly necessary because the movement itself is kind of doing a good job of, of making a mess of that. Now, I, I've not met a lot of these people, though on my journeys over the years, I do, I do meet some and I get a lot of emails. I've been to conferences where the speakers and I've spoken there and stuff. Uh, and like any group or affiliation, I'm sure there's some excellent, well-meaning people doing valuable work there you know i really do think that i'm sure there must be we have to respect that um so there are some cool people there and there's some very uncool uncool people definitely very ill-disciplined we were talking about um some material earlier just offline judy and i very sort of poor stuff you know very undisciplined just admitting really to sort of as judy puts it ping-ponging from one thing to another without really ever doing their own determination on anything. And, you know, I have to also say that a, a very high degree of emotional sort of retardation there as well. And if you think emotional maturity has little to do with investigating 9-11, you, you're mistaken because it's absolutely pivotal to discernment because that is the only time you can rely on yourself not to let your own ego bleed through into everything you do because if that happens that compromises the integrity of the work. And for me, that's one of the central problems with 9-11, the truth movement, as, it, as they call themselves. Ego bleed through. And that seriously diminishes the value, the context, the legitimacy of whatever's being processed. So the discussion that I hear from many 9-11 truthers is so low level, so stunningly ignorant, quite regardless of academic qualifications one way or the other that I still cannot really quite get past the idea that for many of these men largely it is a sort of enormous displacement activity it's like it's not a quest for truth it's a sort of pimped out super hobby into which they can pour all their angst and disappointment and hopes and dreams not just about 9-11 but about the whole lives so all that infighting and intellectual snobbery and neurosis and stuff that is enough misinformation without the necessity to have adjunct provocateurs stirring it up. You know, they're doing a good job of it themselves. <laughs> well, I think Lenin said it best. Uh, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. And I think that's exactly what's happening here with the, uh, the truth movement. But what's your take, Eric? Do you think that this could have been pulled off today? I don't know. I, it, it seems to me almost in some sense an impossible question. We, I, we let's just say, I think those present and anyone else who's studied knows so much now that it would be it's just about impossible to imagine uh, a 9-11 occurring today and imagining one in a state of sufficient, <laughs> sufficient um, novitiate status to be tricked by it. But that's that's just a, a quibble, I suppose. Um, it would, I think, probably be 
certainly be heavily recorded in ways that it wasn't that day. Uh, and it very likely that the, 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 the uh, what do you call it, the, the, the falsification of imagery on, on the news, uh, would not have probably been able to be done because there'd be, what, 15,000, um, 15,000, um, uh, uh, what, what am I trying to say? Little cameras, what do they call them? <laughs> cell oh, yeah, phone cell phone cameras. Yeah. Showing that there is not an airplane going into the building. Um, so I suppose it's right. It could not have happened uh, in the same way, certainly. But all of the various other things that seem to come along with this question are just fa- fascinating to me and, and quite heartbreaking. Uh, um, questions I've just heard new phrases from Neil, um, eagle bleed through. It's a very interesting phrase. Um, and, of course, mo- emotional maturity and the question of whether a person is, is seeking closure or whether they're in a state of cognitive dissonance. Uh, these are great questions. That I'm so confused. But um, I must say, I am unable to follow. That is, I'm not, I'm not able to, to, uh, to diagnose what I've seen. For example, uh, a fellow that I taught with for 35 years, and he, he taught at the same place for longer than that, whom I greatly admired, probably one of the most highly read, uh, in fact, the most widely and deeply read figure person I know in literary humanities. Uh, anyhow, and somebody who helped me through many a thick patch, um, institutionally and departmentally uh, and intellectually, um, and a person with whom I had spoken about the, uh, let me get rid of that, uh, the... Um, yeah, uh, uh, crisis, for example, ongoingly um, through the 90s, uh, he and I would just have wonderful discussions where I would feel as some some slim slender of hope if, uh, if if people could think as he thinks. But we would, you know, we watched uh, the, the liberal uh, academic element um, commit suicide, uh, the phrase that I uh, began, began using uh, myself in my books. Um, and so this person, who was, I thought, an ally, who saw clearly and saw wholly and saw unflinchingly, when Dr. Wood was working on her book, and it was apparent that it was going to appear, and I, when the outlines of it were available, I, I began talking about it with him. And the reception was different from what it usually was. And then one day, when it was very close to when the book was going to be an achievement and a finished product, I said, well, but when the book is ready, are you you going to read it? And he said, no. Well, that was a a stone wall I never could have predicted. Uh, You know, the the friendship has been badly damaged. I don't even know if it still exists. Uh, I've I've known marriages that have been dissolved and are now broken and gone as a result of 9-11. One dear friend who could not bear not to talk about the, the, the lie, and a wife who could not bear to hear about it. And they are no longer, they're broken asunder. So w- what is this? An intellectual of, of great depth, enormous sophistication, huge experience, just blinding himself like that completely. Uh, and that's, this is not, this is not a guy who sells, uh, you know, shoes. This, this is, oh, oops. A real, a real, a real thinking man. So I'd, I'd like to uh, to say something. Um, that yeah, that there's this vicious circle that people get into, and I'm 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 beginning to see that it's it probably is all all the same kind of thing, whether it's groupthink or the need of closure or ego bleed through or emotional, um, you know, lack of emotional maturity or displacement activities is it's all kind of the similar thing is that people are looking away from what the problem is they can't deal with the problem somehow and one thing i have of course come to see pretty clearly about how a cover-up can be run so easily is to divert people from what the real issue is and to get them arguing but why do people go there so easily Hmm. where well they're just arguing 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 and, it, and then it becomes about being right, or why not just look at the problem and solve the problem? Who cares about who said what or whose ideas, whatever, and, and whether somebody has the wrong hairstyle? or it, it ends up being picking at the personality rather than what happened on 9-11. 
Yeah, if I, if I may comment on that as well, um, you know, if you do find uh, an extraordinary truth, shall we say, from extraordinary evidence, more than likely, then uh, in the course of your life, if you come upon that, uh, you quickly learn that there was a path to that for you. And it, it may be complex, it may be simple, but there was a way to it. You don't just jump straight to it without the intermediate stages. And the more remarkable that truth is, the longer it takes to deeply acknowledge and know it, know it at a very inner level. Yet we can observe that there's a sort of tremendous impulse uh, to want to share our discoveries with people and to prove to them and to underline things and expound what we believe. Um, but everybody has to wake up for themselves. I've said this over and over. You can't really do it for anyone else. So it's it's both unrealistic and unwise to say expect a, you know a 60 year old traditional patriotic republican you know tutored in the mainstream view of politics and culture and education to suddenly entertain ideas of no planes or secret groups of esoteric sorcerers or life on other planets or whatever it might be the more outstanding the revelation the longer it takes to get to it so we have to sort of respect that in a way we have to expect also that it takes time for people to understand what's real and what's unreal all we can do is set forth um our discoveries and let people make of it what they will and that takes discipline and a high degree of self-confidence and amongst academics that's not always to be taken for granted because it's not just academic discipline it's personal discipline in your own growth and your own being not just the computer element of our minds but all the rest of the faculties as well and if we falter in our convictions, if we constantly need validation and reassurance, then we start to compromise even our own material. So it's better not to do that at all. Just play your own game, do your own thing, get as sharp and as authentic as you can, and don't stop and keep doing it. And it, it brings to mind the, the question of what it actually is it when we say truth. And I, I very much feel, having worked with you know all levels of sort of philosophers and academics and psychologists and mystics and new ages the whole gamut from left to right good and bad that being smart is not sufficient to know the truth and i would say that that the truth reveals itself slowly depending on the intellectual emotional transcendental awareness of the individual and those last two elements are sorely lacking in the average investigator i would say so their inquiry is necessarily therefore flat and rather one-dimensional. It's limited, to put it politely, like a politician who cannot, you know, see the real substance of a situation because he doesn't really get it. He, he, he lacks sincerity, humility, and insight. You know, you can't expect people who don't have those personal qualities to put out stellar work. Because what I was going to say is that I guess that's what I refer to as problem-solving skills. Yes. On, on, on that note, though, can we? Um, one of the things that troubles me so much now is that there seems to have been a, you know, to use this um, metaphor that is probably unwise and certainly distasteful, but um, there seems to have been a genuinely successful war on science in the United States. I, <clears throat> I think this question of truth now, after 11 years, it 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 does. There is, a, there is a highly significant element in 9-11 that's compared, you know, that does distinguish it from all of the other elements and aspects of the political scene and situation that have led up to it for at least 20 uh, years. Um, and one of the things about it now is that it is a subject of verifiable, empirically provable, irrefutable scientific um, knowledge. That is to say that Dr. Judy Wood's book has proven what happened. But physically what happened, yeah. Physically what happened. Now, so, but I, I find people in the highest levels of opinion making, um, refusing to accept it. Um, and I think, I'm, you, you can tell by my speech that I become somewhat speechless. <laughs> Speechlessness to, it, to the to a greater degree would make me mute, I think. Uh, so, but uh, for example, I, I'm published. I'm, I'm working on a, a, a long piece of work, a long essay, which is broken into parts. I've written three parts and I'm working on the fourth, and it's called um, 
the whole essay is called uh, Dr. Judy Wood and the Future of the Earth. <clears throat> and um, I, I call it that because it seems to me that the scientific aspect of 9-11 that's got to be faced and dealt with and that is in, in there um, has to do with, with a force uh, of uh, energy force and energy forces that are potentially well, earth destructive. Uh, and they were demonstrated on, on 9-11 and the proof is there in in, uh, in Judy's book. Now, on the when I wrote, I published the second part of the essay and um, Jerry Mazza um, who writes regularly um, for the Intrepid Report? Uh, he wrote a comment at the back, at, you know, on the end of the essay online, saying, "Well, what are you talking about? Uh, certainly, you're not hoping to substitute or to put put in place of such and such thinking, the Hermetic thinking of Judy Wood, are you? Uh, what on earth could possibly highly educated or uneducated or guy? Yeah, you know, he's a grown-up. What does he mean, Hermetic thinking?" Well, he means he doesn't want to agree with Judy, but her hermetic, hermetic is nothing to do with empirical science. Uh, so I'd there. like to, to insert something just for a second here. Um, you know, it, this is not difficult. It's it's very easy. It's it's not. It doesn't involve something horrendously difficult to understand. A lot of folks say, "Oh, don't go there because people can't handle space beams or you know you know holograms." They they start putting out these. I- irrelevant terms that don't apply here, but it, it's so simple. You look, you know, the bill. Do you agree that there were once some towers standing there, and then they're now no longer standing there? Yeah, right. They're they're gone. They and they primarily turned to dust. You know, that's a yes or no question. And once you realize they turned to dust, that itself is evidence that there's a technology that can do that. But, but once you realize, yeah, the towers primarily turned to dust. You know, well over 50% of the of the material there turned to dust. Okay, how did that happen? There obviously is a technology out there that can do that because it got done. That's that's the evidence that can show it got done. That's not a theory. There's evidence that shows that such technology exists, and it's as simple as that. It doesn't take any uh, huge I mean, It's pretty elementary thinking. But you see, and let me just interject for a second. I, I think this is an important aspect. When beliefs are challenged, doesn't matter if it's 9-11, it doesn't matter if it's religion. When beliefs are challenged, ego takes over. Then the herd mentality takes over as well. And then we have the issue with the consolidation of the media now. You know, the, 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 they have a, it, our government has a firm grip on television, newspapers, wire services, radio, magazine, you name it. And, and Eric, you're in the publishing business, so you know. But with the internet, and this is why I was saying the advent of the internet, with the internet, that's their weak spot because it's too decentralized and, and difficult to control. But I like to talk about facts here. The Pentagon's Information Operations Roadmap, they describe now that the Internet is their enemy. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a weapon system. And the Pentagon doesn't hide the fact that they want total control of information. Or they call it information dominance. They want, they, they plainly state, they want to see control over land, sea, space, and information. This is what they refer to as full-spectrum dominance. Do you think this is why we are... The consolidation of this information does not allow more of what you research to go out there more, more mainstream. Uh, I think that that uh, the Internet actually helps somebody who wants to control because they have immediate access to you know what people are thinking and doing. But also they can control public opinion that way because, uh, for example, yeah, the buildings primarily turn to dust, but if you get – a consensus out there that says, oh, no, she's wacky, she's an idiot, she's crazy, pretty soon people don't go there. It's very easy to control that way because, you know, group think. So I, I think it actually benefits because of the ease in, with which you can create public opinion. Yeah, there's that old phrase, isn't there? If you, if you throw enough uh, you-know-what, some of it will stick. Um, I, I kind of see that myself because... Uh, from a, on a personal level, you know, that my path to finding Judy Wood's work was, was kind of a, a funny one, but 
there's this there's this guy called David Shaler who's a, a former British MI5 agent and for those who don't know what MI5 is it can be sort of loosely equated with your FBI that is internally focused counterintelligence and security as opposed to um, the CIA which is international and in England that would be MI6 but anyway this ex MI5 guy Shaler had some notoriety in England because he'd got into trouble with the Official Secrets Act because he did some stuff alleging that MI5 were watching left-wing politicians and had tracked Labour Party ministers and whatnot, and also that MI6 was planning to assassinate Gaddafi. So he was already in trouble a bit, and he was already kind of like not in their best books. If you fast-forward to 2007, Shayla told me that there was no planes used on 9-11 and that the technology surrounding that and the destruction of the towers was, in his word, exotic. Now, naturally, at the time, even for me, this sounded like an incredible thing to say, but it, it sort of stuck. Now, as an interesting side note, but an important side note, Shayla, that year, and this is where I bumped into him, was speaking at the 2007 Glastonbury Symposium in England, which I attended as a visitor, not as a speaker on that occasion. But instead of Shayla going into the details of 9-11, etc., he proceeded to give a very personal account of his various reincarnations as spiritual avatars and mythological figures, much to the disgust of the organisers. Actually, I quite enjoyed his talk. But the guy was clearly in a very different space to where he'd been only a few months ago. And since then, there are various reports of him like squatting in empty houses, becoming a transsexual, changing his name, whatever. I, I care not. But later on, when I spoke at the 2009 Beyond Knowledge conference in Liverpool, one of Shayla's friends, a lady who, well, she'll remain un un nameless, came up to me and said um, that she'd like me to help him because she was worried about him and she thought I could assist and she was aware that I do this kind of one-on-one -on -one in a development work and metaphysical counselling as we, as we might call it these days. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that for anybody. But the client has to approach me themselves and that never happened. And so the whole thing disappeared. And aside from one further email from her, it had remained that way ever since, basically. But even my own belief system, and I don't have many of them, but one of the remnants of it back in 2007, after speaking to him, I went home, looked at the footage again of the second plane impact, went over the material regarding the Pentagon strike and the bizarre crash site in Shanksville and all that. And it just looked very suspect, and it did not feel right. It didn't feel like... You know, it was quite the way even the alternative theories were. And it, it was then that I met Andrew Johnson, who said, Kramer, you need to check out this this woman, uh, Judy Wood, read her stuff. It seems like she has the best frame through which to look. And Andrew Johnson, a good old fellow Northern English lad, by the way, yeah. is a man quite incapable of deception, in my view. He's one of the good guys, and you can feel it. He has no agenda. He works just for himself. And he said there was no controlled demolition and that it's a completely different way of looking at it. And so only three years ago, my grasp of the events of that day was incorrect because of the dominance of miscalculated theories, of bad theories. So even with the best will in the world, what Judy just said is something we have to watch out for, which is you have to go and do the analysis and the discerning you know, process of sifting through information yourself. You can't expect anyone to do that for you. And even in the face of like, well, here's the three main theories, immediately you have to say, who says they're the three main theories? What are they? What are the other ones that, we're not, that no one's talking about? You have to question every single aspect of it. So it is a perfect exercise for that because it shows us quite clearly that people don't want to do that. As I say, you know, being... Uh, conscious of these two professor dudes with us mel um <laughs> academic or not that is quite quite irrelevant to me most people do not want to do that work for themselves they want it delivered uh, and if anything marks judy out um and indeed you know uh, listening to to eric speak it's the fact that they have this sort of inbuilt um refusal to give into that temptation of theorizing about what, who, where, and why. You know, they say, well, let's, let's look at what happened. You know, let's be super diligent detectives. And as I was thinking about this yesterday, 
it does bring to mind that Arthur Conan Doyle quote in relation to Sherlock Holmes that once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. And that's all you have to do. And and that is why I can sit through Judy's work and think, well, she just seems to be doing that without a lot of trouble. What's what's the big problem for everyone else? I don't get it. How I've uh, come to term it is uh, people, for whatever reason, have come to turn their thinking over to someone else's keeping. They want someone else to think for them. And I would really like to figure out some way to help them get their thinking back into their own keeping. You know, rather than looking to somebody else for their opinion before someone knows, it, you know, w- w- please give me my opinion. That's I don't know if TV has done it or what has done it, but like, like as you were saying, that they won't go look at it themselves. They want what are the the three things I can pick from on the menu? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, what are That's the three right. theories? And you know, I, I to me talk about challenging beliefs. Before a few years ago, I believed the story. Then I disbelieved. The story, because I heard of a you know, nine eleven truthers and all those people talking about it. So I thought that look at look at that that they're just talking about what happened that day. But then I realized when I started doing this show that a lot of people were saying, "Are you going to interview Dr. Judy Wood?" And I hadn't heard, and you know the story. I haven't heard your name before, and I realized, wait a second, these other people out there are so public they go to 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 you know, big radio outfits to talk and nothing happens. But then we have Dr. Judy Wood here who has an impeccable research that anybody can read and nobody's giving her any attention to the country. She's being demonized. And I think that there's a, can we call it a pressure cooker effect? They need pressure cookers out there so that people can vent their steam. So you create a few, you call, you know, we call it control opposition. So we keep them going around in circles like hamsters in a, in a treadmill going absolutely nowhere. And they want everybody to look away from the work of, of Dr. Judy Wood. But we have to take our one and only intermission. But before that, I want to just read something quick from one of your books, uh, Eric, from the Skull of Yorick, The Emptiness of America thinking at a time of great peril. In the book, you have what you call two acts. Act one, November 22nd, 1963. Quote, we killed him and not you or the president or Congress or the Supreme Court can do a thing about it. We are in control, unquote. And then act two, September 11th, 2001. Behold, is not our weapon awesome? Do we not have the power of the gods? Are we, are we not gods? Heed this warning well, unquote. And I think this was a warning to other powers like China, Russia, and perhaps others. And my question that I'd like to take on on the other side when we return is, do we think that there's Act 3 coming up? I don't want to plant any ideas out there, but I have a feeling that if there's an Act 3, it will make 9-11 look like a toy. But... uh, I want all of you to tell us how do people get in touch with your work, your websites, your books, starting with Judy. Um, my regular website is drjudywood.com. That's D-R, and then two four-letter names, D-R-J-U-D-Y-W-O-D.com. And the book site is wheredidthetowersgo.com. Hard to type because there's no space. It's just wheredidthetowersgo.com. Neil? Uh, very straightforward, neilkramer.com and my book, The Unfoldment. You can find out how to get that from there. neilkramer.com, Kramer with a K. And Eric? Eric, are you still there? He, I guess he's probably muted. He barely muted. And uh, I have uh, the... Oliver uh, Arts and Open Press, I think. Yeah, Oliver Art on Open Press. Uh, Arts yes, and Open Press. Dot com. And I have it linked on our website in case that we didn't give the right one. But... Uh, Folks, don't go anywhere. We have so much more to discuss with Dr. Judy Wood, Neil Kramer, and Professor Eric Larson in this anniversary, number 11th, of what happened on 9-11-01. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the members section. Enjoy.